Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the CHGO White Sox podcast. Coming to you live from the CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. You can follow the show on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox. Alongside me, our special guest of the day here to talk about the 2023 draft class for the Chicago White Sox and more, Mike Rankin. Uh, managing editor and host of the Future Sox podcast and of FutureSox.com. You can follow Mike on twi- uh, Twitter at Rankin906. And that's Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's our CHGO White Sox community leader. Hi, Mike. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you killed it. Remember, you? I remember every time you're like, oh, I don't want to see the DraftKings presenting sponsor. Killed it that way. Well, we still we still mentioned it. Anyways. Murdered it. Nope. Uh, <laughs> nope. I wanted to, you did it, but I wanted to give you kudos for killing it. Thank you. It is um, my job. Uh, sign up with code CHGO, though, for DraftKings Sportsbook, since you mentioned it. Yeah. I appreciate the kudos. I do. I do. do you guys remember Kudos Bars? Uh, uh, yeah. The little right? candy bars, right? Like, it was like granola, chocolate on the bottom. Is this happening? A couple of mini yeah. M&Ms. I know you're a, you're a kudos bar guy. I'm right? a big uh, chocolate guy. Look, what is it? Um, crackle is Crackle, that? delicious. Crackle, and what's it similar to Crunch Bars? Yeah, uh, Crunch Nelson Crunch Bar, yeah. bar. Yeah. the same bar. That's you, the other day. Who did that? Uh, Barstool Carl put that out there. Oh, I was yeah. like the same. Candy. That's why I was in my head. I guess the I exact same ca- candy. I mean, like that's a kudos bar right oh. there. I mean, that's a. Yes. My, my those jam. are delicious. That's yeah, middle school right there for are, me. Those are real good. Yeah, I mean, you mom, had those in your lunch. and Oh, yeah. You're I was about to say, when mom packed that up for lunch, <laughs> you're like, baby, I'm winning today. I was, I, I catch me starring in the film The Untouchables when I have a kudos bar at my, my lunchable, uh, in my lunch. Uh, anyways, uh, Mike, uh, hey. where can people find Future Socks? At Go Future Socks? To, well, I'll tell you this. On Twitter, we're at Future Socks, but partners with SocksMachine.com. So shout out to Josh Nelson and Jim Margulis and all those guys. At Sox Machine, we have a pretty good uh, relationship, I would say, going on year two, and we were lucky enough to take over the draft show live, reacting Amazing. to you know the White Sox pick at 15, and we were breaking down picks leading up to the White Sox selection, had some guests on, so definitely encourage everybody listening to subscribe to the Future Sox podcast. Yeah, you, James Fox, and Elijah Evans did a great job uh, on that live draft show and uh, recapping uh, all the Sox picks. And I know you guys just did a recent episode, too, going uh, through all 20 rounds and all 20 picks as well. Um, and you guys should go and check that out, too. Thank you. Go yes, and check sir. out Future Socks. Go and check out Socks Machine. Uh, all the stuff that Mike does, touch, all the stuff he touches turns to gold. What, Mike, name all the things you touch. 
Um, can on we a move daily on to, basis. Can we move on to White no, Sox draft picks? You are being examined. You have to answer. A few um, socks is great. And what's up, Hawks with Socks? Uh, make sure if you guys are hanging out with us, hit that thumbs up button. I know Mike's a golfer. Uh, Mike, feel free to come out to our CHGO golf outing, too. Oh, give uh, me more information. I would love to. Oh, I thank you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> August 25th, uh, it's a 9 a.m. shotgun start at Cog Hill. You ever hear that? Yeah, I heard really good golfers used to play there all the time. Right. You never hear of Tiger Woods? Oh, yeah, that guy. He golfed there. Uh, cool. And you know how, who's as good as golf, uh, good at golf as, as Tiger Woods? My grandkin? Me. <laughs> Are you? Well, <laughs> I guess we'll see at the oh, golf hey, outing. Hey, there you go. Uh, so go sign up at allchgo.com. Uh, you also get the uh, Pins and Aces CHGO uh, polo shirt when you sign up as well and buy a ticket. Uh, so make sure you're, you're signing up at allchgo. Can I just say one more thing, too? Just details there, yeah. Yeah, self-promotion a little bit. August 26th, we're having Future Socks Night at the mm-hmm. ballpark, Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, it's on our Twitter, at Future Socks. Mm-hmm. Purchase a ticket. You can hang out with all the fans that are like-minded individuals uh, hang out in the patio section 90 minutes before pregame. Oh. Uh, first pitch, I should say, 90 minutes before first pitch. And then we're hanging out in right field. And you get a Dylan C's bobblehead. It's bobblehead day there. Ooh. That's Saturday. So Saturday, August 26th, 6, 10 p.m., first pitch. And they're playing the A's. Is that one of the weird Dylan uh, bobbleheads where it's like he's a superhero? Because they did that with, like, Paul Konerko. What do you, uh, I thought it was, like... Oh, it's a the, normal one. It's the a, normal with the, the Sunday jerseys, maybe? Yeah, the 83s. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's got a fuzzy mustache. So, like, I actually don't hate it because he's got a fuzzy mustache. Yeah, there it is, right? Yeah, you remember yeah. they did the whole thing in spring training where they were like, does that look like Dylan Cease? And, uh, of course, Jimmy Lambert gave a weird answer because Jimmy Lambert's a weird guy. Did you get the what Luis Robert say? one? I forgot. The Luis no. Robert bobblehead's awesome. Oh, the, the one with the shades? The, the latest one? Oh, man, no, so cool. So Vinny, Southside jersey? Uh, Vinny's so usually are $300 already. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Ooh. Online. Vinny's, Vinny's our connection. Uh, usually he... he the Sox are, are nice enough to give him some. I mean, maybe he's nice enough to bring him in here. Uh, Jared was nice enough to bring yeah. that alloy one in. So maybe J- maybe Jared went, and Jared's going to be nice enough to bring it in. Fingers crossed. Yeah, um, I gave away our lo- alloy slash Luis Robert one at their opening day one. Our opening day uh, broadcast we did this year. That was my favorite member of the first half. The the Oh, the broadcast from the whistle <laughs> oh my god excitement they actually won they didn't well yeah they actually won i was about i thought you said like we're thinking before they even started yeah. you know it was just great to be there are they like 15 under at this point 16, 16. yeah i love this team matthew <laughs> lucas thanks so much for the shout out future socks is a great pod thank you yeah uh, then, sleepy herald our guy thank you oh also and also too, uh, Ethan's excited to you know hear your thoughts on Gonzalez and Taylor and all the uh, all the, the picks here. So uh, we're excited to have your expertise on the show, Mike. Um, and also too, make sure the outing duo. You could do the the, the golf outing on the twenty fifth, get all your rest that night, and then you know have the day to recover, and then do it again that night. Hang out at, with us with, with the future Sox guys. Uh, but the draft class. Um, Jacob Gonzalez is the first pick. Uh, 15th overall. Um, I don't know if that's the most important pick of this draft class, but he still is a first rounder who, before this draft was started, before you know the games were played, he was talked about as a potential top five pick. So what did the White Sox get with Jacob Gonzalez at 15, regardless of position, regardless of the White Sox future? Jacob Gonzalez, the player. Well, the first thing I think that stood out to us was the acumen, somebody who really does take in information well. We listened to Mike Shirley describe the player, and something that Mike Shirley, the director of amateur scouting of the Chicago White Sox, said was that when they had a chance to meet with him for 30 minutes at the Combine, they approached him with 
video and mechanical changes that could impact expected slugging and some of the things that you know would progress him as a professional and apparently the reports were very well he took it took all the information in and how he responds to I guess I should say at Ole Miss they were playing in a championship a national championship game two years ago and you know to step in in a high intensity high you know bright spotlight um, and he, he stood up just like Tim Elko and as well as their fourth round pick, the catcher, Calvin Harris, they were all a part of that, uh, you know, national championship team. So I think that was very important to Mike Shirley. The, the fact that he stood in the face of pressure and he succeeded. Uh, I think the White Sox were surprised to see him fall to 15. And Mike Shirley said that was the guy that they wanted and were excited to see fall and they couldn't pass him up just to break down the player at the plate a little bit. The first thing that jumped out to me when I was breaking down some of his tape was the stride. He has somewhat of a slight lean towards first base, and it kind of reminds me of players who play in Japan typically. And I think that limits – you can get exposed, I should say, at the professional level. So if you're pulling your body weight towards first base, change up down and away from a right-handed pitcher, you can offer tendencies where you're pulling off, stuff like that. So I think that will get exposed at the professional level, so he'll need to make mechanical tweaks there. I'm not too concerned about that because listening to Mike Shirley describe the approach at the plate, bat to ball skill, very impressive walk rate, contact rate, doesn't strike out a lot, didn't strike out a lot in the SEC. So that was very encouraging. This is a steady, solid college player who could advance in the system quickly, sort of lines up with where Colson Montgomery's development is at this point. Um, The question is whether or not Jacob Gonzalez will stay at shortstop. I'd imagine that you start him there, allow him to work in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, in the single-A level, and then go from there. So there's there's a lot to the Jacob Gonzalez thing. Well, and I heard, too, just that, you know, he might be advanced enough to start at double-A already. Like, I mean, or, or, or be able to do well at double-A. You know, you said he's, you know, similar to Colson. We know Colson right now can probably do well at advanced A, and, mm-hmm. you know, pushing him to double-A, you know, would be probably – a little rush, but, you know, Jacob is a little bit more advanced maybe. Well, that speaks to where he is as a professional, or as a baseball player, understanding what pitchers can do to him at the plate. And then, you know, the, the knock is his 40-grade run uh, tool. And to me, I mean, that doesn't suggest that he's unathletic, right? It's just something that I think can be overcome with the rest of his skill set. He's not fast, but that doesn't mean he's a bad player because he's got – High 20, like I would say his ceiling is 25 home runs and 25 home run potential as a shortstop, or you move to third base, it's a quality player. So, if they fix some of the slight word lean towards first base in his, in his stride, um, there's also some stuff with his mechanics in his upper half and his hips that need to be aligned. If you take away that misstep, I would, I would consider that mechanical tweak a misstep. Then all of a sudden you can see the upside in his power because he can go to all fields. He's got a lot of pull side power, and the White Sox need ball in air on their pull side at the big league level at this point. So just a couple of thoughts there. He was, as the White Sox were surprised that he got to the spot that he got to, why the drop? What are the things that are the huge knocks? You've been talking about him right there, kind of like what is he stepping in the bucket towards Mm -hmm. first base and such like that. But if a guy is doing all the stuff that he did at Mississippi and started as a freshman – all SEC played in the toughest division in college baseball. Why is he going where the White Sox picked him up? And another question you might answer a little later, third straight or third old Miss player they've picked in the last two years. I thought they got a little happy with Louisville players a couple of years ago. Is that a problem necessarily? So the first thing, 
why did he drop? Secondly, why all, all these old Miss players? Yeah, it's a good question. It was really fun to watch the first 14 or so picks go because we were surprised to see Max Clark go to Detroit. Um, that was an early pick. So I think it just was a matter of consequence. You see organizations commit to a certain dollar amount related to the allotted slot value they get in their in their selection. So, you know, in, in the first the first overall pick, you're spending a lot of money, and it kind of goes down. So maybe that had something to do with it. And also the fact that uh, within Jacob Gonzalez's game, as a left-handed hitter, maybe they weren't confident enough in, in changing what the White Sox believe they can fix. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak for other organizations. Um, I think the upside was found elsewhere. I think the best way I could put it uh, ahead of Jacob Gonzalez. The second point is I think it has to do with the fact that those players were a part of the Ole Miss National Championship run. And I think that mattered a lot to the White Sox, seeing guys like Tim Elko and Calvin Harris and now Jacob Gonzalez have success in the SEC at the highest level. And uh, you got to give credit to the Ole Miss program. So that's that's all I have for that. Well, and Elko's just tearing it up, too. Yeah. I mean, He's like, a guy who just – you, you knew you were, you knew you were going to get that out of him, just a slugger. Yeah, and, and is it projectable? Like, are the stats that he put up with Ole Miss, do, do they think there's a floor – enough that's high enough that they can have him be a major league in 2025 are the stats he put up old miss i know they're a little outsized but are they projectable to the mlb where he can be maybe an all-star maybe a mlb starter whatever they project him as well and two surely like said you know some of these elite college pitchers like they have a, a timeline of like one to two years like i mean elite middle infielders like what's their timeline so what's really exciting about the modern era of prospects is that they're exposed to so much technology uh, and in terms of rehab and sports science. And when you break down film and you have access to exclusive, you know, uh, spots in the cage or like workout programs, your development is, it, it is a lot different than what we're used to, um, as I should say. Because when I'm thinking about Jacob Gonzalez in this instance, you ask the question, can he be a part of the White Sox in 2025? I say yes. And I say that because he has confidence in his plate approach and he has confidence in adjusting. He, according to the White Sox, can overcome failure. And I think that's something that's undersold in a lot of prospects or players in general, just understanding the psyche and mm-hmm. understanding how they can get to that next level and adjusting in real time. And I think the White Sox have made a concerted effort to target players like that. And it goes back to Colson Montgomery specifically, that was something that Mike Shirley, when he drafted Montgomery, raved about is the fact that he was always cool, calm, and collected under pressure and that he could adjust in real time. So, um, yeah, I mean, the development is, is really exciting like th- at this point because in the modern era, guys are stronger, faster, better than ever. And, look, it's not out of the question to see even some of these starting pitchers pitch a year and a half following their draft. Well, and before we move on to the pitchers and, you know, uh, Mike Shirley and, you know, if, if he's making the picks, if, if Rick and Kenny have any influence, uh, before we move off Gonzalez, um, you've mentioned the IQ, you've mentioned the power, uh, and then you've also mentioned the lack of speed for a middle infielder. I, I love comps. You know, who doesn't love a nice comp? Uh, maybe not swing-wise he's this player, and that's what makes this player a little bit higher graded, but I thought he was uh, maybe at least on the 2080 scale, like a budget Corey Seager. Uh, the hit tool for Seager coming out, 60 for Gonzalez, 55. The power tool for Seager, 60 for Gonzalez, 55. The run tool for Seager, 45 for Gonzalez, 40. Uh, the glove for Seager and arm at 60. And then the field in 
one uh, arm for Gonzalez, 55 and 50. Um, again, maybe the, the swing isn't there because, again, you talk about the pullingness uh, of Gonzalez where Seeger is very much up the middle, um, a very clean swing. But both guys going in the 17th and 15th range. I mean, is there any comp there uh, that, that you could see for, for Seeger and Gonzalez, especially yeah, being I mean, lefty? That's pretty fielders. fair. And, you know, speaking of lefty bats, Mike Shirley made it a point to add a lot of left-handed hitters in this draft, so that's really interesting. Not really good, personally, with comps. I, I never like to look at that. Um, but but Jacob Gonzalez, I think, when you look at the, the selection and the timeline in which the White Sox want to be competitive again, you think of the value that you get out of middle infield talent, whether it's up the middle, um, and then you further that at catcher, and then also in the outfield at center field. Like, those are the types of key positions that you tend to take risk on. But this is a steady selection, and I think maybe that's why, like, back, back to your earlier question, Herb, maybe others passed on him because they saw upside, like I said. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, this is just we'll, – we'll see how it develops, but I, I'm very confident that he'll be able to handle professional pitching better than maybe others – were and like guys like uh, Arjun Namala was was available and he's a prep guy that I was hopeful to see the White Sox make that selection but again this is a guy at 21 years old maybe a year and a half of worth of development and we can start dreaming a little bit and I don't I don't want to take this conversation too far into the future but you think of the timelines of some of these prospects these sort of line up now when you're adding advanced players in this draft this year and then also you combine it with the players that are already developing in the minor leagues if the White Sox do want to go internal 2025 isn't a bad target day for some of these guys and the last thing I got about this player but it also could project to all the rest of the players I was talking about pedigree the other day and um, Gonzalez's dad played in the minor leagues longtime uh, high school baseball coach do you think that went into drafting the player also? Like you were talking about Colston Montgomery and how he can, you know, come o- overcome failure and having a person in your house and Jess Gonzalez, his dad, who's been there, done that, and understands what baseball takes and the mentality you need to have. Do you think that goes into what uh, an analyst like uh, Mike Shirley might be saying? Okay. He has a good pedigree. He comes from this stock, so he understands what baseball is all about. He's just not some well uber talented athlete that we need to coach up after he fails that's a great point because Mike Shirley actually did reference that exact thing talked about uh, you know working and growing up with a baseball coach so absolutely I think that has a lot to do with it and when you take a step back and break down several draft classes now this is his fourth in Mike Shirley's case you see consistencies in the picks and it all has to do with character so I think that's that's a point well taken. Her well, you referenced twenty twenty five, and and people in the chat are now uh, bringing up you know what does the future look like because they take Montgomery who's a middle infielder, they take Gonzalez who's a middle infielder. Um, which one is more projectable for the shortstop role in twenty twenty five right now? I would put my money on Colson Montgomery, but that's only because I haven't seen Jacob Gonzalez participate in any professional play. Uh, he is an advanced shortstop at this stage of his career, although Montgomery has the pedigree where he's already projected to play in double-A soon because he has no issue with single-A advanced day pitching at this point, missed the majority of the season so far because of a back injury. But there is no indication that suggests Colson Montgomery needs to move away from shortstop, and I think there's more upside in his game at this point. So, He's, the num- he's a top 30 prospect in the league, and he's still going to be the number one prospect in the White Sox system. I would, like We were talking about this on the Future Sox project, uh, podcast. We were projecting where Jacob Gonzalez may rank in the system at this point. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking Montgomery won. Noah Schultz is shooting up there. 
Uh, I would say he's number two at this point. Brian Ramos is still there. So maybe Jacob Gonzalez is four or five at this stage. Is that typical for the first round pick to be top five? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say so. Maybe like you're looking, you're looking for, um, yeah, I would say top five. That makes a lot of sense, especially at 15. That makes it's about right. And then uh, the other thing that I want to go to before we hit a break is. The pitching, you mentioned 2025, and we see just even after this year, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn in trade rumors. We're not really sure what the pitching might look like for 2024. We see in the second round they go Grant Taylor. Um, From the pitching side of this team and and, and team building, what is surely kind of preached because we hear Noah Schultz, you mentioned him as the the top two prospect. Now we see Grant Taylor, we even see last year, uh, Peyton Paulette um, in the second round. It seems like Jonathan Cannon, who was fifth round last year, third round, um, is getting a ton of buzz. So what is the pitching philosophy, Ben, of Mike Shirley, and how does that show in Grant Taylor? So I I love this question. I love talking pitching, and I love evaluating the philosophy behind selecting these pitchers because Mike Shirley has a type. We've learned that uh, he – he loves to specialize in the Midwest just himself, but he has scouts all over the place uh, across the country. And what we're seeing in these selections are high upside in specific pitches. So you're looking at frame, of course, but does the fastball jump out of the hand? What's the spin rate there? Then also, what's your second pitch? What's the best pitch outside of your fastball? And so many of these arms have an elite second pitch. Um, with some development to go, there is risk. Like if we're looking at guys like Jared Kelly or Tanner McDougal, who another guy who was selected had Tommy John surgery. The White Sox are not afraid of that injury. Mike Shirley actually referenced the fact that these hard throwers nowadays, the majority of them are are somewhat ticketed for Tommy John surgery. So you can't allow that to uh, stray you away from your philosophy. And I think when it comes to like the the modern setting of pitching in the White Sox organization right now. You're looking for guys, especially at the starting level, with a number of innings under the belt that suggest that they could do it at a, on a regular basis. Grant Taylor was, if we set our focus specifically on him at this point, was set to go toe-to-toe with Paul Skeens at the top of the rotation for LSU before blowing out his elbow in February. He was probably the highlight of the Cape Cod League when the White Sox went and scouted him in the fall, uh, in the summer last year in 2022. So you're talking about elite pitching. Um, not afraid of Tommy John, so he's out for the rest of the year. He'll participate next season. The consistency is strike throwers, high upside with their secondary pitches. And also, um, if you're looking at taking risk, Mike Shirley's not afraid of doing that. So that's really say, exciting. That's a huge risk. Like a guy didn't pitch, and when he did, didn't he have like a five ERA plus um, uh, at right. LSU? So they're taking a risk on picking this guy. And was the Cape Cod League a wood bat league? Yes. So, I mean, that's why they projected those guys uh, to be what he's going to be doing in the major leagues instead of the uh, metal bats Absolutely. in LSU. Are you wearing pants? Huh? Are you wearing pants? I am wearing pants. Somebody okay. asked him. Uh, Juan said, are you, Herb, are you wearing pants? <laughs> I'm mean, wearing like you're just in your box. Short shorts. But, yes, I am wearing pants. He's wearing pants, folks. Um, I mean, if you don't want me to, Juan, Super Chat would, be, would get the job done. Mercy. All right. Uh, no, Juan, no, we're going to keep your pants on. Hey, if Juan hey, wants it. Juan Super Chat. If Juan it. wants it, Juan gets it. I Again, I think if the chat pays for it, I feel like we have to they're be just, nice to the chat. They're just shorts. They're just shorts. Actual shorts. Not right. the, the ones that we grew up with, Juan, where they're below your knees. 
the kids like their shorts. They like to show the gams off. Yeah, and the I mean, thighs. When, when you when they were making shorts, I mean they were they were down to your shin. Oh yeah, if we wore anything above our knee back in the day, yeah, pretty much called those underwear. <laughs> Mercy. Um, <laughs> and, and shout out to to uh, our guy uh, uh, Anthony, who I see is cr- cracking a Goose Island uh, uh, down in Florida. So cheers! I see Herb has already uh, crushed his. Yeah, um, I it. So so Mercy. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll get more into uh, Grant Taylor. Want to let you know about Shady Rays. The sun has finally came out after run- raining a ton today. Take on the sun with gear belts built to last our friends at shady rays have you covered with the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price shady rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn they have durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures and that's not all shady rays offers the most insane protection program in all of eyewear every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements if you lose or break your pair even on day one until they will send you a brand new pair no questions asked you can wear your shady rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase and if you don't love your shady rays you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days there's no risk when you shop their team always has your back and exclusively for our listeners shady rays is giving out their best deal of the season go to shadyrays.com and use code chgo for 50 percent off two plus pairs of polarized shades try for yourself these shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people again at shadyrays.com using code chgo for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized shades. Um, and I was showing off my legs recently because uh, our friends over at Bird Dogs uh, sent us some lovely, fantastic shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you got yours in the mail today. You were going to wear them, but then you were worried about a grout fit. Yeah, I have a gray shirt on. My shorts are a little darker gray, and I don't want people talking. Oh, Herb's out here not matching. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, still comfy, though. Oh, You'd look good in them. You they just got to wear a black shirt. They are my absolute favorite absolute favorite shorts I've ever worn. Take and I'm pa- not just saying it. Take your pants off. Juan, Juan gave hey, us five bucks. Take your pants off. That's not enough for Juan. Five dollars? I should have specified. God damn it, Juan. I'm not taking that's my pants off. This is the can that you opened That's up where the people want. I'm going to go to jail. Jake's going to look at me. Our GM's going to be like, hey, you can't be Steven, showing. can you go run out there ask hanging. Jake, say Juan just gave us five bucks. Can Herb take his pants off? He's gonna I say could no. do it, but I got a really strong. I just go ask him. I got I got to do a read. Go ask him about. This will be a funny Herb conversation. All right, um, folks. I want to let you know. Um, Herb's gonna look great. Uh, you know, in his birthday suit because you know Herb's Herb. I didn't say um, all that, but you know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're a little worried about your fashion game. Why not up it? Because Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. He's and going over there. Yeah, he better. <laughs> uh, Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing <laughs> as Lululemon, but they fit way better, and they fit way better because they are uh, way better than regular shorts because uh, that are made of stiff, restricting cotton, like the ones I'm wearing right now uh, that have a zipper and, and button. Uh, Bird Dogs fix this by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without sacrificing movement. And they use an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long and uh, keeps you from stinking, folks. So that's that's great. Go yeah, and they have a lot of pockets. I know you were just talking yes. about it, but like they were hidden pockets too. Front pocket, <laughs> two zipper pockets. Yeah, you can put your phone pocket. in there. Yeah, awesome. I put my wallet in my side right pocket because you know you don't hate you hate sitting on your wallet and it gives you back problems. 
Perfect placement. Go to birddogs.com slash CHGO or enter promo code CHGO for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. Again, birddogs.com slash CHGO or enter promo code CHGO for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash CHGO or promo code CHGO for a free Yeti-style tumbler. And if I was wearing those shorts, Juan wouldn't be wondering if I'm just wearing my boxers because they're a little bit longer and they have those under... Uh, shorts. They, right. They have, for the older people, they kind of feel like uh, biker shorts. If you remember biker shorts, it's, yeah, it's kind of like they they they're sewn in uh, sliding shorts, and they feel so tight, like, like they're the nice bo- and sewn tight, in boxer briefs, and they're they nice. keep you in yeah. and tight. Tone you up while the outside oh, look at does, Juan. doesn't feel bad. Uh, you won't want to take your bird dogs off. We oh promise God, you. Juan, However, uh, Juan <laughs> promise you. He promises you that Herb will take his pants off because uh, he just gave him. I'm just going to give Juan uh, his two, ten dollars back. Mercy, because um, we can't do it. At least there was there was a contentious negotiation over there. Uh, the FCC got involved. Jake and I were pleading your case. Uh, it got nixed. You okay, got to keep FCC, your pants man. out on the show. All right, yeah, let me, the FCC it won't let me be. What did Jake say? <laughs> he he you raised did not an eyebrow. I did ask him. Yeah, he, he went over. He literally went over there and asked. I will pull him over here. The FCC has nothing to do with this little nice. a quick phone call. Juan if, is money if back. We were instru- I, I know that there's a video going around on Twitter about this man instructing people about nair hair removal mm-hmm. on a certain place. Mm-hmm. And yes. people very horrified that that, uh, that body place is being shown on YouTube. Yes. But it's instructional. It's educational. Absolutely. We are being... Purely educational. I guess yeah. educational about what... Herb's lower half looks like. I think. I think we can get away. It with would that. just be underwear. You guys don't want to see those. Her, Juan clearly. Does. I'm going to give you your money back, Juan. Just mm. after the chat, we'll talk. We'll, Juan, we'll chat. We're going to move on. But thank you for your super chats. Feel free to play him a goose and uh, and, and a honk. Um, I will continue to try to get Herb to take his pants off. Um, I mean, that's it's a high school all over again. Hey, what? <laughs> huh? Uh, mercy. Um, Streets was calling back Mike. in the day. You mentioned that yeah, uh, John. that uh, Grant Taylor was uh, competing with Paul Skeens for that rotation, but you talked about an innings base. Mm-hmm. Are they confident that he's built up enough of an innings base? Because just doing scout line statting, uh, stat line scouting, and you mentioning uh, Tommy John's surgery as the reason to, to hold him back. Um, only fifty two innings pitched in in twenty twenty two, and obviously he made starts in the uh, Cape Cod League, but only 21 innings. I mean, I, I'm a little bit concerned because these seem like Garrett Crochet numbers right. when he was taken out of Tennessee. So, uh, I mean, maybe what makes Grant Taylor a little bit different? What what makes the Sox a little bit more confident that he has that starter length? Well, I think they're confident that he'll return from Tommy John surgery healthy. That's the first step. And also number two is he was projected to be a starter, similar to Garrett Crochet at Tennessee prior to the seasonal shutdown in 2020. I think with Grant Taylor, he's got – uh, a pitch mix, a starter's repertoire already. And then if you look at his build, he's built to be a starter. So I think the White Sox are confident enough to start him and allow him to work through those issues. I would say next season, if he's able to build up about 80 innings, I mean, that's the number. Um, similar to Peyton Paulette this year, if you're looking at what Peyton Paulette's doing, he's about 45 innings so far, but he's making every start. And that's step one. And like I said um, earlier, I think for Grant Taylor, the expectation is let's stay healthy for 2024. Let's let's get that innings load down, right, or up, I should say. And then in 2025, if you're steady across that season, then maybe Grant Taylor cracks the rotation in 26. Yeah, I mean, we, we have the concerns about 
or at least I have the concerns about the Sox building up these prospects and, and maybe Peyton Paulette and is, is more of the blueprint rather than the guys that we've seen already, like Crochet, and you look at Crochet, uh, 63 innings at Tennessee, 65 innings at Tennessee, the 2020 season, season where he only had three innings, and he hasn't really pitched over, what, 55 innings um, in a season with the White Sox, so we really haven't seen that innings base be reached uh, with the Sox due to Tommy John surgery for him and obviously pitching out of the bullpen, but we never really saw that commitment to him being a, yeah. a, a starter. Um, I, I mean, are him and Michael Kopech in similar spots? Uh, could they ever abandon ship on Garrett Crochet, the reliever, and then try to start building up his, his innings base? I mean... How, how did the Sox yeah. kind, of, kind of fix these future or, or these past projects um, still that are in-house like Crochet and Kopech because, you know, they, they got to fill out that rotation somehow yeah. in 2024 and maybe those guys would be weeded out by 2025 and we see some of these other prospects rise up. And we're going to learn a lot prior to the deadline, August 1st, of course. But in Garrett Crochet's case, I think it's very important to mention that Mike Shirley drafted him as a starting pitcher. He was used immediately in 20 because they needed him to potentially win a World Series. And the fact that he didn't pitch at all at Tennessee that year because of the seasonal shutdown, right, I think is an anomaly. And when it comes to Kopech, so anyway, backing up to Crochet before I get on to Kopech, I've been rooting for the White Sox to commit to Crochet to becoming a starter, at least try. Allow him to throw multiple innings as a starter in double A. You don't really, I'm not a fan of sending him to AAA because the ball flies out of the ballpark in Charlotte. It is what it is. But if you're, whatever the case may be, develop him now as a starting pitcher. You may have missed your opportunity last offseason going into this year, but I, I, I still think the upside is there. I still think he's capable of doing it. He can get away with three pitches. Fastball slider changeup as a starting pitcher. I firmly believe that. Michael Kopech's a little bit of a different case. You know, missing two consecutive years one based on injury and one personal decision. Building up the innings load at the big league level when you're trying to compete and then you're asking him to do something he hasn't done, just coming out of the bullpen in the year that they were in 21, I do believe it was, um, it, it changes. It, it, people are human, right? These pitchers are human. It changes the way your development trajectory goes, and I think it's all a matter of allowing Kopech to throw and get the innings at the big league level under stress. And I think last year was a good step forward. This year, albeit like overall has been a disappointment for mm-hmm. Kopech, I think ultimately it will be a good thing because there really is not many other options. If you're trying to compete, this is a guy who has proven to make starts at the big league level consistently. Now the results haven't been very good based on the pitch mix and the success that he's had in his repertoire. But it's just a matter of the, the timelines, man. It's, it's brutal. You know, it's very unfortunate what we saw out of um, the 2020 season. It changed so much. And honestly, it had a lot to do with why there was so much talent in the first round this year. Because you see guys who either opted to go to college or opted to uh, re-enlist and take on that extra year that they had been given because of the COVID shutdown in 20. Kids were returning to school. They foregone. They had foregone their uh, chance to enter the draft that year because it was only five, uh, you know, five rounds. So it really did kind of change the trajectory of a lot of the players in, in this era. But um, but anyway, but those two players, yeah, I'm I'm more focused on crochet because I think the upside's still there. With Kopech, it's just a matter of you know getting strong enough and making sure that you're not so fastball reliant because you know we see the outcomes when 
he, he loses his groove. He, yeah. he really only feels comfortable throwing a fastball when he's out of it. Before we go on to more draft people, I asked this to Vinny the other day, and I don't know if you got the answer for this one, Mike. The Mike Shirley does the draft. It's, he is, that's part of his job. And I know Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn are overall his bosses. So when it comes to the actual draft, is Mike Shirley, does he have autonomy just to make the picks himself? Or is it like, this is the pick we want to go with. He has to run it by Kenny and Rick. And do does he say that he has some pushback from time to time? Because every time I see them talk about the draft, they put Mike Shirley out there in front. Like before the draft, they put him out in front. After the draft, they put him out in front. And re- rarely do we get to hear from Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams about the draft, specifically after the draft. So I don't want to speak in absolutes because I'm not in the room and I'm not exactly sure, but this is my read on the situation. It reminds me of how Chris Gatz operates and oversees the minor leagues. Okay. Uh, he's the assistant general manager now, but he was the director of the minor leagues. He was a minor league coordinator for the White Sox prior to his promotion. Chris Getz was the speaking authority on everything, and, and you know you would go to Getz. Getz would have all the information about the, you know, um, Matt Zaleski, uh, Everett Tiford, who did move on, uh, Andy Barquette, who's a hitting coordinator. Those are the higher authority minor league operations, and then they report to Getz. Getz oversees the operation. He responds to the upper management. With Mike Shirley, I think it's the same thing. I think Mike Shirley has foremost authority over where he's deploying scouts, uh, deploying scouts, I should say. And also, I think we should give credit to Kenny Williams because I know he's involved with the scouting process, and he has a. I I don't want to speculate. I do think the Jacob Gonzalez pick was genuine in the fact that the White Sox loved him, but also it is kind of uh, beneficial to them that he is as advanced as he is in his, this point of his career. Um, some people like to say that it was a Kenny Williams pick, but I don't necessarily believe that. Well, we see that he loved Colson Montgomery and he was in their backyard in Indiana and he takes him in the first round, right? And, and now we see post-draft that the opinion on Montgomery changed that people probably didn't see him enough and that the prospect seems like the White Sox got uh, a a steal at 22. Um, Schultz seems to be projecting similarly as well, a high school prospect that not a lot of people thought would be a first-round pick that was going to sign, right, because he was going to go to Vanderbilt. Yeah, right. right? Um, And then we see in the seventh round, George Wolko, um, again, in the backyard from Downers Grove, and now we're seeing that you know, even though the White Sox said that Grant Taylor could be a first-round talent, um, we see that Baseball America has Wolkow ranked higher than Grant Taylor. So, like, is the true prize of this draft class Wolkow? Like, and when you look back on it, like, Jacob Gonzalez, great. Maybe he helps out the team, you know, in two years, but our guy that we wanted is, a, is in the seventh round. It very well could be. And, like, uh, I talked about a little bit earlier with the uh, allocation of resources. We'll learn more about the strategy once everything is on paper and, like, the amount of money invested in every pick. But the Wolkow pick is going to be overslot, and that's a guy who's 17 years old, turning 18 in January, Oof. graduated early, and wanted to go into professional baseball. And you talk about the exclusivity of scouting players like Wolkow, Colson Montgomery, more information on Noah Schultz than anybody else in, uh, across Major League Baseball. And they were willing to select that player because they trusted the process. And to give credit to the scouting um, department and Mike Shirley, Shirley mentioned several scouts being on a lot of these players for years prior to them committing to colleges. And the fact that they were available 
it just suggests that the White Sox are confident in their evaluations of guys who they've been monitoring. And so, you know, some look, when you have access to guys more so than other teams, then you're going to know more and you're going to feel much better about those players. Uh, Wolkow, though, specifically, if you just look at a video of him taking batting practice, you buy in. And when you talk about taking upside swings in the draft, this is a left-handed hitter, and I got his information right here, uh, 6'7", 240. Mm. So... Again, turning 18, that means multiple young years in your system where you have full control of developing the player. Now, the swing and miss rate could be a concern. You know, there's all these things that are concerning, but you're dreaming on a player like this. And this is how I think Mike Shirley is different than what had been, you know, going on in the past prior to when he took over in 2020 is he's, he's going with upside swings and he's willing to invest overslot in these players, similar to what he did in Jared Kelly in 20 and, and several other times in the past as well. So I think um, a, a change in philosophy was absolutely due. And Mike Shirley, I think, in my opinion, has done a great job. And this is, a, yeah, this is a big pick, a very exciting pick. No, I'm not 6'7 or 240 anymore. But when I was a kid and I went from all-star baseball when I was in, you know, uh, before high school, I was underage like Wilkow was, and then jumped to high school, and immediately that difference between like people my age to people a year older, just one year older, was so dramatic, and I could not handle it. I could not imagine how good this player had to be. So being that young, being 17 and not turning to 18 until January, yeah. that's amazing. Like it's- to have him actually competing and not even competing doing it at a high level too having a full 12 inches over you yeah it's gonna help it's gonna help out but also that all those levers you got to move to make that ball go as far as you need to go it's gonna be tough to you know to compete right there and i hope in those early years they are have patience Mm -hmm. because he's not only going from high school to the professionals but those guys professionals are already 21 22 25 years old and he's going to be 17 maybe when he starts this year yeah, so often you look at these prospects and they're the best in their respective area mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're around the same type of talent or better and it's a challenge it's a shock to the system for a lot of these players i will say in Wolkow's case I, I believe it was South Carolina that he was committed to, and mm-hmm. he was upset that he didn't get drafted in the in the second round. Um, and then he was waiting in the third uh, in the second day, I should say. For first and second rounds were on day one. Day two was, um, you know, three through ten, and then eleven through twenty was day three. And he was looking. Um, he was picked in the seventh round. He was looking like he wasn't going to get drafted, and he was getting frustrated. And and Wilkow was talking about it. He, he spoke to a local reporter and said. You know, I was going to make a decision to go to college, and I was ready to make that decision, but then the White Sox made my dream come true, and that just tells you the type of psyche. He's ready to be a professional. That's all he cares about, and that tells me that the White Sox are going to scratch a deal for him. And you said he's going over slot, so there's he's going to be paid like a first or second round pick instead of going to South Carolina? It, they it, have to do that? It very much uh, seems like that'll be the case. You okay. know, you're allowed to spend – a certain amount in your pool that doesn't um, go against the rest of your pool. So uh, one pick is a certain amount. And then if you go over, you know, obviously that impacts the rest of your draft. And that's why I'm sort of referencing the rest of the picks because, you know, some guys not saying that they're throwaway picks, but they're, they're efficient signings where you're able to, 
go big in the seventh round. And that's part part of the reason why Wolkow was available. Well, and George told uh, Merck of MLB.com, I wanted to start my career year early. Uh, he mentioned something about uh, he wants to be a Hall of Famer. Like, I mean, like... Oh, that radiates you know, confidence. Yeah, yep, right. Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, a very... Uh, and just Entry-level goals. And, and real quick on that point, more and more we're seeing players who do speak to the media radiate confidence. Now, for example, James Fox, a future Sox interview, Jacob Burke. Jacob Burke has all the confidence in the world, and he's mashing in Winston-Salem already. And he was, he, he honestly should have been promoted to Winston-Salem earlier than he did. Dominated Canapolis, clearly better than the competition there. But there's consistencies that are starting to be formed, so that's really encouraging. The, the mental part of the game is somewhat underrated, and I think the White Sox are attacking that. Absolutely. Exciting to see. I mean, it, it definitely seems like uh, there's a difference with, with Mike Shirley directing this. Uh, we'll take a break, and then we'll uh, do a little bit of a recap on uh, some final guys, a uh, little news and notes, and then we'll get into uh, King E's comment about Luis Robert Jr. and the Derby <laughs> and uh, how he d- did well, and then apparently he got slowed down a little bit. But we got a, a ComEd read, uh, and then we'll let you know about our friends over at Goose Island. Um, but Herb, ha- have you ever heard? of the Combat Energy Efficiency Program because I feel like something that you and I don't talk about enough. I mean, we talk about this off the air. All the time. All the time. You know, because... Chopping it up, having a couple beers. Yeah, I'm just like, hey, man, what about the White Sox? You're like, man, how about the Combat Energy Efficiency Program? Because they're committed to helping families and businesses in the communities that they serve, Sean. You're always saying that. You already know that. I do. Helping you manage energy usage and lower energy bills now... And it's in the, the future. See, Comed's, see the you future. finished it. ComEd's customer service, I tell you, great A. Look, had a really good experience with that. Mercy. See? And they offer a wide variety of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across the territory. ComEd also offers free facility assessments that can help find energy-saving opportunities like for HVAC systems, commercial kitchen equipment, or industrial processes. I already know how it works, but Sean, tell the people how it works. Mike, can you ask me how it works? Hey, Sean. Uh, one time, my power went out, and I spoke to their customer service department, too much. and I said, hey, can you give me some information on this? And they were like, sure, no problem. And it was really great. So outside of the customer service, what else can they do? Yeah, that's not how it works. So an authorized <laughs> the energy efficiency program, an authorized engineer will work uh. with you to develop a detailed assessment plan. They're probably going to be really nice about it, uh, specific to your goals and needs. And these can be done in person or virtually and last approximately two hours. And within three to four weeks, customers will receive a report detailing energy efficiency projects that they could start working on immediately. Each recommendation will include estimated energy savings, cost savings, project costs, potential incentives, and simple payback. If you own a business, do not wait. Get started saving money and energy today. For energy saving tips, lighting incentives, or to schedule a free facility assessment, go to comed.com slash poweringbiz. Is that comed.com slash poweringbiz? Yes, it is. Scheduled today. Oh, man. Herb, would you just crush? Uh, 312 from our folks at Goose Island. That's Elite <laughs> Ale. Uh, that's their, their flagship beer. It is absolutely fantastic herb uh just had one to to to, talk, to chat uh white Sox draft um you know maybe you're having a a normal wednesday there's no sports on what are you gonna do drink some beer uh chgo supported by goose island beer company chicago's beer since 1988 their beer roster includes the 312 wheat ale the goose ipa which i'm now seeing commercials for i'm also seeing commercials for the tropical beer hug and they have a nice sampler you could try the tropical beer hug that's at a, a 9.8 uh, uh, alcohol percentage that's dangerously easy to drink. Uh, they also have the neon uh, beer hugs. They have the hazy IPAs. They have the juicy IPAs. A lot of stuff to try over from our friends at Goose Island. And we also have an event coming up 
a White Sox and Cubs specific event. You guys have one on August 26th. We have one on July 26th. Um, it is Sox Cubs. CHGO Crosstown Series. The first one's going to be July 26th at 710. Uh, Cubs Sox at Guaranteed Rate Field. The ticket includes um, a shirt and the shirt that it, Herb is wearing. You can either get the uh, the north side or the south side version of that. You also get a pregame meetup with us at uh, Oak Far- Forest uh, at the uh, Gaelic Park nice. Bar. Okay. Very Look nice establishment. Hey, Mike knows the area. Uh, and then you'll get uh, transportation to uh, from the bar to the stadium and then back. Um, and you also get a ticket to the game and hang out with us. Uh, so it should be a fantastic time. And that's uh, sponsored by Goose Island. Uh, so grab an ultra fresh brewery exclusive beer at Goose Island's original brew house on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's you guessed it, beer. Yep. Did you know that in 1910 for the Lancaster Lynx, uh, there was a man who pitched 19 games, and actually I'm saying man, I don't even know if this is a person, it could be a can, it could be a woman, uh, that pitched 19 games for the Lancaster Lynx of the Ohio League, um, and it, their name was Beer. Yeah. No no last name. Okay. Just Beer. Beer. Is there a birth date? Nope. Lefty or righty? Nope. Just name Beer. Through 19 games, seven hits, 123 batting average, no all that shit. But uh, speaking of name obscure is beer. facts, I'll tell you this: <laughs> the National League won the All Star Game last night, and it was the <laughs> first time since 2012. You know who the Cubs' lone All Star was? Steven, you know? Was I it know it. Brian Lahare. It was Brian Lahare. Mercy. I love Brian Lahare. You yes. know what happened to Brian Lahare? What happened to Brian Lahare? He went to Japan. He was an All Star in 2012. Then they called up Anthony Rizzo in the second half. And Lahare never played again. <laughs> happens in the major leagues. No. no, in the major leagues, yeah, he just went to like Japan. That. So, oh yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, hey, uh, it, it ends just like that. Now I got to look up who who the twenty twelve All Star uh, All Stars for the Sox were. Um, oh man, Matt Thornton. You want to have some guesses? Matt Thornton, Herb. You want to you want to guess twenty twelve uh, Sox All Stars? Was that the Jesse Crane year? Oh maybe. Okay, there's three. Oh, there's four. There's four of them in 2012. Whoa, 2012. Yeah, I remember the Sox no were kind of Jesse Sox Crane were decently good. Did, that I, did year. I get Thornton? Jesse Crane was 2013. Oh, okay. Matt Thornton, 2010. No. Okay. No. So 2012 White Sox. I'm gonna go with. Fudge. It's not Adam Dunn. Four. Adam Dunn is one of them. Oh wow. Paul Konerko. Paul Konerko is another. There's two more. <laughs> Well, it was yes. his last year, but I don't think he was that good. Uh, was it Marcus J. Burley? No. Mark um, Allen Burley. One of these guys had an uh, online campaign where Gordon Beckham impersonated him. Then that would be... Oh, man. Would it be Punch AJ? No, would not be Punch AJ. Uh, Jake Peavy. Yes, Jake <laughs> Peavy. And what, what do we got for the Dirt bags. We just don't quit. Huh? Who do we have for the number four? I I, I feel like you guys got to keep guessing this one. This one's a, this one's an None of these are, like, hard. All right, so 2012. So Marzidja? No, not he was a Marzidja, wasn't he? <laughs> Marzidja. Yeah, I'm not going to get it. Is, um, it. is it a pitcher or a hitter? It's a pitcher. It's okay. a, guys, you guys are thinking way too hard. Oh, I got it. Is it Chris Sale? It's Chris Sale. Right, Look nice. at that. Okay. Um, Chris Sale. This is his first All Star appearance as a White Sack. Um, so fun, fun, fun hey, trivia there. They were kind of um, good that year until September. Yeah, I don't remember that team. I don't remember any of their teams. None Rob of their teams are, are rememberable. <laughs> or uh, it was a. Uh, let's see, 2012 was Ozzie Guillen's last year. Remember when it? the White Sox or needed Robin to Turner's convince 
Robin Ventura to be manager. He didn't want to be no, manager. No, that was Robin Ventura's first year. <laughs> he was like Ozzy had left in 2011, I believe. And he did not want to be and he didn't want to be there. It was no. his first year so and like funny. like saying, he <laughs> yeah. did not want to be there. Kenny had to convince him. 85 and, at 77 in his first year. Yeah. 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 And all downhill after that. And people remember now Robin Ventura as the bad manager instead of the great baseball player that he was. Yeah. It's a travesty. I don't know about that. Oh my god. Bring up Robin Ventura's name. People are like, oh, he sucks as a manager. It's not his remember, fault. Don't remember Rock and Robin hitting all the Grand Slams, like fifth all time in Grand Slams. Jerks. Hey, whenever I mention him, I mention him as your favorite player, Grand not Slam your favorite single, White Sox manager. As a New York Met. Um, all star festivities were kind of quiet for the White Sox because um, Lewis Robert Jr. was in the home run derby um, and he was supposed to be in the all star game. But during the home run derby, tweak something. And the White Sox said that he was going to get an MRI, but uh, Luis Robert did tell the beat reporters that were out in Seattle that he felt fine and he seems like he's going to play on Friday. Um, and I'm sorry, Kingy. He said uh, he really made I really made him believe that Robert was going to win the jer- the Derby. <laughs> um, you look, and if he beats a Rosarena, he might. If Luis Sierra throws him decent pitches, he might. I'll tell you this, Sean. <laughs> I was tired watching that. Like seeing the how quickly they would go from one pitch to the next, it seemed like Louis Robert was like kind of gassed a little bit. Well, and then too, like the first round, they were describing uh, Edward, Eduardo Perez was describing a Rosarina in the first minute as his back leg shaking. Yeah. So I was like, oh, there's no way this guy wins it. <laughs> how the hell does that happen? Um, so like you know, I I really did think Robert had a great chance. He hit 29 missiles in the first round, um, and I was like, oh, Rutschman put up 28, and then. Robert almost beat him in regulation time um, and then only hitting 21 in the second one. Uh, you know, that, that was disappointing, um, but it was a good showing. I think overall for Luis Robert disappointing that, you know, he wasn't able to play in the all-star game, but also, I mean, that guy's played a lot of baseball this year. And what's more important is him being on the field. Um, I don't know if you guys take anything away specifically from the home run derby, him being injured, but you know, we did do a little play with the title. What's the future direction of the Sox? Um, you know, a lot of that is, you know, future Sox. Uh, but Luis Robert is driving that. You mentioned 2025. He signed until 2027. Um, it, I mean, obviously, this is a player you can build around, but it's not really what baseball's about. It's not like you have a LeBron yeah. James. You're going to be going to the title, you know, seven times or, or the finals seven times or whatever. Like, you know. We've seen this with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. They're on the same team. Still can't make the playoffs. I mean, um, what is the future direction of the Sox? I mean, is it clear right now, or is this trade deadline going to you know, happen and we're going to have to see where the dust, the, the, the dust settles? See, the thing is, if they would have had like, actual good trade deadlines in the recent past, I would say, okay, yeah, the White Sox are going to do some retooling, not totally rebuilding because rebuilding is going to be tough. And I don't know if we already spoke to it, but we spoke on the off uh, camera about, you know, the rules and the nationals and the white Sox not be able to be a top six team anymore because of the new uh, CBA, but retooling would be in my purview. So you could trade Lucas Giolito away. You could trade Lance Lynn away and et cetera players, and then still compete next year for not only AL central, but maybe the AL uh, crown, it's really far-fetched for a team that's 16 games back. But, like, re-signing Lucas Giolito, I think, is, uh, like, priority number one. Because it's, he's been here, he won't break the bank, you need a starting pitcher, and he knows the culture here. So I think it could happen that quickly. And Robert has to be here to have this go quickly and to turn this around fast because he is a superstar. Mm-hmm. Now, I know people on this uh, podcast think that I want to trade Robert. No, 
but I would just say he there's no untouchables on the White Sox because you're 16 games back, as Sean just said, with him on the team, playing most of the games, being the superstar that he is, the team is still really hella bad. So you could trade anybody, but it would take a huge deal for me to trade Luis Robert. It'd have to be a lot of players that are ready to play next year who are really fucking good, and that doesn't happen with a lot with a team that is competing right now. So, yeah, the White Sox could turn this around really quickly, but they need to do some real trading in this uh, trade deadline so they can get players who are ready to compete next year. As a seller, I think they will be in the driver's seat right here from here until August 1st. So Rick Hahn and Katie Williams, Jeremy Haber, etc., need to get to work, and I'm sure they are already there, and get some players in this building for the players they have now. And then also, there doesn't preclude them from re-signing Lance Lynn in the offseason. Doesn't preclude them from re-signing Lucas Giolito, etc. players if they want to trade them, if they have a good enough relationship with them. I know you're f- saying 5170. I don't I, I don't think the oh, White well. Sox are, are using any money to to re-sign any player over Andrew Benatendi's contract. Wait, really? You don't think so? You, I, you think so? I, I, I they have to. Do you I think, think that do you I, think they're going to sign somebody to a 100 million dollar contract? I, I don't would think so. I think I it de- oh man. They were See, that close a, to doing Zach Wheeler. Look, I know it's, true. it's fair to buy into the pessimism. I understand that completely, but they're Real fifteen million dollars away from signing Manny Machado. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to her point, per year about Luis Robert being a superstar, um, I it's hard to overcome pitching deficiencies. If you don't have pitching, you set yourself back years. And the White Sox need to make a decision because if they allow Lucas Giolito to get to free agency, they are going to lose that bid. So if you can scratch a deal before the deadline or in season while he's still with the White Sox, if they do decide to keep him throughout the year, then I think that's your best chance. Because otherwise, man, that that price is going to go way up. And also, to to your point, Herb, real quick, about the draft, if the White Sox are projected to be as bad as we assume they will be for the rest of the year, say they get a top 10 pick, in 2024's draft, they can't have another top 10 pick in 2025 based on the rules because mm. you know a, a top market, a, a big market club like the Nationals, when the Nationals are terrible again this year, they're not going to they're not eligible to be in the draft lottery again. So if you're a White Sox fan, you understand that they'll most likely be in the draft lottery next year and then go for it in any other just compete. Try to compete with either savvy free agent signings, it might have to be one-year deals, but if you really do buy into your internal options. Let's get this train moving. It's not so much a rebuild. It's it's a quick pivot to a new style of building a competitive franchise uh, within the organization. Something we haven't seen really ever in my in my lifetime. Is it viable though? Cuz like I really don't like again, I'm I'm so pessimistic on them spending on pitching mm-hmm. and I don't know if they're going to be able to get the the starters. Yeah, it's fair. Like, I but mean, don't I mean they we have to Spin on pitching? They might. They might have to, but, I mean, we look at the rotation. Who is an actual true homegrown player? I mean, none of those, none exactly. of those players were drafted that's, by the White Sox. Exactly. I mean, who have the White Sox drafted as a starter? And that's and what developed? I'm really buying into now is the internal development of these draft picks because you don't have any other choice. Yeah. The, the, the rebuild that was started in 16 began by acquiring players, prospects from other organizations. You fast forward now – the White Sox are drafting players that they had scouted, learned about, understand the psyche. Maybe that's that's the difference here because clearly 
the, the choice to do what they did hasn't panned out, and maybe their their own players that they scouted themselves can come up and provide a little bit better of an outcome. And there's no one available <laughs> from minor leagues that's going to be in the starting rotation for next year, so, or at least projected man. into the starting rotation. Because like, well, my in my assessment, Davis Martin, stop it. In my assessment, it is. He's hurt the whole year, too. Yeah. Not the whole year. I mean, he's been hurt. Yeah. He's got Tommy John. I, I know we'll probably come back next year, like in September, August, to be pitching the major leagues after a minor league stint. He'll be here. Oh, God. <laughs> but they have to hit the fix 60% because I don't think – there's no way you come back with Mike Clevenger next year. He's oft hurt, and he's just mediocre. So they got three guys they got to replace, so yeah. they got to spend some type of money. Internal options. And they have no one available, spend right? Spend Mike Clevenger money. I mean, we, we see Mike Mayer as a, a – Mayers as a, 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 a now uh, a, a trade for cash considerations. Like, Tuki Toussaint. Tuki Toussaint. I mean, he's a, he's oh, a former first-rounder. That's where we're at. They love former first-rounders. That's where we're at. Oh, Organizational cast-offs who are now part of your big league rotation. 100 going to be in the starting rotation next year. He was, he's an American League Central cast-off. The, I think, the Guardians, yeah. who are in I second think, place, didn't want Tukey Tucson. Internally, like, a realistic option maybe is Jonathan Cannon, who is a part of the uh, Futures game this season. That's, that's expecting a lot, though. You know what I mean? These guys are still probably one more season away from legitimately becoming big leaguers. But they're not afraid to be aggressive, though. Like, that's the one thing is I feel like if Jacob Gonzalez is, is hitting at a major league level, they'll put, I mean, we saw with Andrew Vaughn, they're gonna just going to put him at whatever position's available. Like, I, do you think they have that same knee-jerk reaction to pitchers? Like, if Cannon does continue to rise up and let's say, you know, I mean, what, what's, what do you think the highest – level he can reach this year is well he'll he'll pitch in double a yeah yeah wow he dominates in double a like just say stupid numbers 250 sub era is mm-hmm. just striking out the bunch just showing control C- could he be and does well in spring training could he be in the rotation like would they be afraid to be aggressive with a pitcher like that well jonathan cannon's an interesting case because all he does is throw strikes now he's not going to get a lot of guys out with the swing and miss but he fills up the strike zone and i think he feels very confident in He's, he's sort of like a Lance Lynn type in the, in the way that he delivers a you know, fastball cutter and hard slider in a lot of cases. Change-up's okay. Uh, but that's a guy who throws strikes. So he's a little bit more advanced because he can control the outcomes, um, not get things out of hand by walking guys. The White Sox were aggressive with Sean Burke. The White Sox were aggressive with Matt Thompson. And they still believe in those guys. Sean Burke's MIA. Matt Thompson's been inconsistent in A. You're going to have to add guys to the 40-man. Matt Thompson is, is you know already there, so... Chase Oleski, does that, that tickle your fancy? No. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? So, you're going to have to make savvy signings in the offseason, in my opinion, allow these guys, your top prospects, to develop, and you're dreaming in 2025. You got anything else? I don't. That's just disappointing. Well, the final thing, I guess, is it seems like Schultz has done well. It seems, oh, he's awesome. Yeah. It's, it seems like Paulette's been good. Good? Okay. Um, and you, you've, you've talked about Cannon here. Mena, Thompson, Burke, like, are, are all the other lower starting pitchers kind of struggling? Like, even Norhe Vera seems like we're not hearing a ton about. Seems like we're not hearing a ton about the, the guy that they did over slot in the Jared, second round. What about Jared, Jared Kelly? Kelly? Yeah, where's yeah he right. At? Like, it, it yeah. does seem like some of these, these other guys really aren't having the same steam as you'd think they would build year after year after year. So, Jared Kelly is in a piggyback role now. He's no longer starting oh, games, God. but he is going multiple innings in, beginning in the second or third. So he's, he's 
going like five and a third innings, but okay. not as a starter. All right. So he's still like, and he's doing really well there. Christian Mana struggled in Double A, but he's twenty years old. You got to give him time. Um, boy, uh, there's so much failure. <laughs> going on outside of you know but again like when it comes to the top 30 right now single a and very few double a prospects that's where the white Sox organization is right now norhe vera seven day il haven't heard from him in a long time barely any innings pitched i'm like this close giving up hope on norhe vera so that's not that's not very good. God, what happened? Because yeah. people were like anticipating I was maybe so this excited. year, next oh, year. Yeah. Jose Contreras put his hands on him. I thought that's he was just gonna you know start throwing these crazy splitters. He looks you know. so good in showcases and then in, in sparing uh, sparingly when he's out there. But over an elongated stretch, when you ask him to throw more than two innings and then get up again after five days, he, he just hasn't been able to respond. And at the end of last year, the velocity went way down, and we barely saw him this year. So anyway. Thanks. All right. Well, Mike, yeah. we appreciate all of your expertise hey, thanks, guys. on the White Sox organization and letting us know about the future direction of the Sox. Make sure you follow Mike on Twitter at Rankin906. Make sure you follow Future Sox uh, everywhere at Future Sox and read their work. Is it? Can you be redirected at FutureSox.com? Yeah, if, you know, SoxMachine.com, Soxmachine.com. FutureSox.com, you'll, you'll find us. And go, go to SoxMachine.com and mm. then find find the Future Sox stuff there um, because, you know, what Mike did give me a real confident answer if I get redirected from futuresocks.com. Well, because it's, anyway. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> it wasn't common. Go to socksmachine.com. Yeah, do that. Uh, that's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter. Actor 23 is our CHGO White Sox community leader. Uh, the 23 is for Robin Ventura, the player, not the manager. And I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Thank you to everybody for watching and hanging out with us. And make sure you hit that thumbs up button on your way out. And appreciate Stephen Nicholas for producing the show. We'll be with you tomorrow again at 5 p.m. talking about expectations for the second half. See you then. Bye.